Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of Hosea, chapter 5, verse 15, through chapter 6, verse 6, Psalm 50, verse 7 through 14, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 4, verse 13 through 25, and the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 9, verse 9 through 13, and 18 through 26. God grant us serenity to accept the things that we cannot change, courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So how strong is your faith? How faithful are you? Would you say you have perfect faith? If I were to check in with each of you and ask you how your faith is, me even saying that out loud, the possibility of it, doesn't it, like, you're like, no, let's not do that. Let's, you're all going to avoid me on the way out today, just in case. The reading today that we're going to be focusing on is Paul's letter to Romans. And we're going to be looking at this Romans uh, readings uh, all throughout summer, actually. Our our church, we did a, we do a Thursday morning Bible study and we spent about seven or eight months just in Paul's letter to the Romans. So we've got some Romans experts here in the congregation. We might get you to preach this summer, but we'll, one thing at a time. Get ready, Carol, you're coming up. But we're going to look at what Paul is talking about when he talks about faith. And in this letter we hear today, this excerpt we hear today, it's actually, uh, at least on its face, it's actually very um, scary. It's very daunting. Because he basically tells us to have faith like Abraham has, and then describes Abraham's faith as essentially perfect. As as Abraham always is convinced, fully convinced, always believing, always moving forward, and going and doing the right thing, believing in God, and this is what justifies him. Which is fancy theological language for saying, this is what makes him in right relationship with God. He's got a good relationship with God because he's always convinced, and he always believes, and he always believes the right thing, and is faithful. That sounds exhausting. And I'm not sure I could do that at all, if I'm being honest. And we all, all of us actually, but all of us think when we talk about faith, we we hear that even if we don't hear the words today, like the question of do we have faith, we immediately think of all of the ways that we don't, right? All of the failure within us. And in fact, for us, faith is something that we don't have enough of and that we need to sort of do something so that we can get more of it and be better at it. Faith essentially is just one more thing on our little to-do list of ways to improve as people. I'd like to, you know, uh, I'd like to get to this uh, uh, salary at some point in my life. I'd like to lose this much weight and I'd like to have this much faith. If I can hit those marks, I'll be the right kind of person. These are the kinds of things we're talking about, right? And, And again, then we put ourselves in a relationship with God where we are always failing. We put ourselves in that place, by the way. We put ourselves into a mindset where faith is something that's not comforting to us, but actually is one more thing that points out our flaws. Gosh, I wish I could be more faithful. And Paul, it seems like he's not helping us out much today. He says, well, if you just had faith like Abraham, who was always believing and convinced, you'd be fine. Oh, thanks, Paul. 
He's doing this whole work, by the way, where he's saying, he's saying, it's not about you always doing the right thing, because he was concerned that people believed they had to follow very specific rules and laws to the T in order to be in good relationship with God. And he's saying, you don't need to do that. Faith, your faith in God is more important than always doing the right thing. But if we're not careful, we make faith just one more task that we're not doing right. And then he puts as an example this person that is this towering achievement of faith. He describes him that way. That puts so much pressure on us. But instead of just dismissing Paul outright, let's stick with him for a moment. Let's take him seriously. Let's take seriously the idea of Abraham as a person whose faith is worth modeling. Let's take seriously the idea of Abraham as someone we should really look at and say, I want to be faithful like that. Because Abraham is perfectly convinced that God's got him no matter what, except when Abraham totally doesn't buy it. And Abraham is totally sure that God's promise will come true. Except the times we have in the scriptures where Abraham's like, well, maybe God needs a little help along the way. When God places the call on Abraham and says, you, it's you. You and me are in this together. I've got you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to give you children, which you never thought you could have, which is a whole thing about your, your heritage, your, your, your being on this earth. I'm going to give you land. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to care for you, is what God's saying. At the beginning, Abraham goes, yeah. And he immediately sets out, leaves his home, and starts a whole new life, enters into this unknown, and it's powerful, and it's beautiful. And this is the kind of faith that Paul's talking about. And then in the very next story, he ends up in a foreign land because of a famine, and he immediately looks at his wife and says, hey, pretend you're my sister instead of my wife. It's the very next story. Do you know why? Because in his context, he's concerned that Sarah is so beautiful that they'll see him and they'll have him killed so they can take his wife. So he goes, just pretend you're my sister. Okay. Does that sound like a guy who's trusting that God's got him no matter what? Hmm, that's the next story. And then the story after that, God shows up. By the way, God shows up at the end of that and is like, you, uh, no, not like that at all. No, come on, I've got you. And when he says, I've got you, believe in me, Abraham's next response is, really? Do you? Because you told me I'd have a kid by now, and I don't. So what's the deal, God? That's Abraham's response. Yeah. That's faithfulness right there. That's what I'm talking about. Shouting out and yelling back at God is perfect faith, we're told. And then God comes back again, and there's a whole situation where Abraham is negotiating with God, bargaining with God. Have you ever bargained with God? Turns out that's faithful too. And then they're moving along, and he still doesn't have the child he thinks he's supposed to have. So instead, he decides that he's going to have a child with Sarah's maid, Hagar. And they have Ishmael together. There's all of these stories along the way where Abraham is trying to believe in God, trying to commit to God, saying, I, I, I think you're right, I think you're with me, and also I'm going to hedge my bets. I think you're right, I think you've got me, and also I'm a little nervous. I am all in on you, God, except I'm going to hold a little bit back for my sake. Actually, I think I understand Abraham's faith really well. 
Actually, I think you do too. And if Paul is saying that that's the kind of faith we need to have to understand how to move towards God, I think that it stops becoming an impossible task. Abraham, his faith is not flawless. But it is perfect. And those things are different. Flawless, without flaw, never failing. Well, that ain't it. Perfect, especially in our biblical language for the word perfect, means whole and complete. And Abraham brings his whole self, including his fear and his mistakes and his self-care and his protectiveness and his vulnerability and his doubt and his anger and his bargaining. He brings all of that into his relationship with God. Abraham doesn't always believe the right thing, but he's always trying to believe the right thing. And we need to understand that that matters. Have you ever been to a wedding where they wrote their own vows? Don't do that if you ever, just don't. But, um, sorry, you shouldn't. And if you did, I love you, don't. Um, here's, here's the thing, right? Because when people write their own vows, and I've seen it, they'll be like, yeah, we're going to write our own vows. And then they'll get up and they'll be like, I promise to love you just like for the rest of my life, just like I love you today. I promise to look at you the way I'm looking at you now. And I promise never, ever to think any, and it's like, that's not true. None of those things are true. The first thing you're doing in your marriage is lying in front of all these people. Can you imagine believing and feeling the same thing about a person your whole life? It's never happened. Also, by the way, if we felt the same way about people our whole lives as we did on our wedding days, that would be exhausting too. Like we'd never get any work done. But we don't. Our feelings change. Our lives change. Our, our experiences of people shift. And we don't always feel the thing we're supposed to feel. That's why we take vows in the first place. And when you look at the vows, they're not feeling-driven. They're not belief-driven. They are, I will hold on to you no matter how much I decide I don't know how to deal with you. And I hope that you'll hold on to me even when you find out all the stuff about me. That's the actual vows we, get, we actually have people take in the church is, I'm, whew, I promise to hold on to you for, for, I guess, I guess for the whole time, you know, even when I don't want to. And then the person says, okay, me too, you. I'll do that as well. That's the thing. It's not believing perfectly. It's not always feeling all the right feelings. It's the decision to hold on. That's faithfulness. We can have perfect faith if we can make the decision to hold on. Even when we don't know how we feel or what we believe. We can hold on by continuing to pray to God even when it's a shout, a scream, a yell, or a bargain. We can hold on by coming to church, even if we're not sure what we believe. And, and I, don't, I don't just mean coming on Sunday, I mean being part of a community, that a community of belief, because sometimes your people that you love, sometimes they'll believe for you when you're not able to believe that anyone's got you. Sometimes you'll think you're completely alone, and the people around you will be your faith if you allow them to be. 
This reality, we even see it in the gospel readings today. There are two miracles in the gospel readings today, in the gospel reading today. And in both miracles, they are people whose primary show of faith is desperation. There's a man whose daughter has died. That's the height of desperation. He doesn't say he believes in Jesus. He doesn't say he's going to follow him. He doesn't say anything about faith. He just shows up and says, can you please do something? And Jesus doesn't say, well, here's what I'm going to need from you. I'm going to need you to follow the seven-point faith plan, and I need to see you grow in your, in your discipleship, and then I'm going to see what I can do for you. No, he heals the daughter. And then the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years is in isolation. She's seen as untouchable and disconnected. She is afraid. She is alone. She is marginalized. And what is more desperate than if I can just touch, as the old hymn goes, the hem of his garment? I believe I'll be made whole. What's more desperate than if I can just touch the the tip of of the robe, I might be okay. That's desperation. Desperation is faithful too. Can you be desperate? Can you bargain? Can you argue and shout? Can you bring your doubt and shout that at God? Can you take your anger and throw that in front of God as well? Can you keep at it even when you're not sure if it matters? That's faithfulness. I wasn't going to talk about this, but in this, we we sang it today, friends. We sang it today in the hymn right before. Teach me to feel that thou art always nigh. I don't know if I can feel it. But we say it. Teach me to feel that thou art always nigh. In verse 3, teach me the struggles of the soul to bear, to check the rising doubt, the rebel sigh. Teach me the patience of unanswered prayer. This is the faith that makes us right with God. Not perfect belief, not flawless understanding, not unwavering conviction. The decision to hold on. The decision to keep looking for God. Rain's coming. And what will we get for it? What will we get for it? We're faithful enough. What will we get? Heaven when we die? Friends, you've already got it. It's not the reward. It's something that's already yours. God has given it to you. If you notice right here in the, in the Romans reading, the very first thing that it says, Paul says, the promise is that Abraham would inherit the world. We become inheritors of the world. And that doesn't mean we all become little kings and queens of our own little serfdoms. To inherit the world is to recognize that this world belongs to us and we belong to this world. To have this kind of faith, the kind of faith that holds on hope against hope and insists on God's presence and keeps trying to believe that God is working in this world in our lives and God has called us to work in this world for justice and for peace and to draw more people into lives of equity and belonging. That kind of thinking, that faithful thinking, that is the gift that God is giving us in this faith. To have faith in God that includes struggle and doubt trains us up not to be the right kind of people when we go to heaven. It trains us up to be the right kind of people to love this world here and now. Because if we can hold on for the God we don't always hear, we can hold on to each other. 
And we can keep looking for love and hope in the people that God gives us. And we can keep looking for God's presence and God's healing here and now. This is the faith that makes us one with God. In Jesus' name.